Welcome to Bible study. Good to see everybody. Glad you are here. Glad I'm here. I'm glad we're here because we're here together. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for uh, your presence. We have gathered in the name of Jesus. We thank you for being here in the midst of your people. We ask that you would teach us tonight that you would lead us, guide us. We pray you'd open up your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way. And we pray that he would bring life to your word tonight and apply that living word to our hearts, to our minds. We pray you'd change us, change the way we see something tonight, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we're responding to you, to the people around us. God, we just ask that you would bring change into our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you want to look into the book of Hebrews. If you need a Bible, they're located on the middle table here, and you can feel free to pick one up and use it. We have some Bible verses tonight, uh, different verses that we'll be going through. But Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 if someone would like to read that. Now, we're going to use that as our overall base verse for tonight. And then we're going to look at a few other places, a few other verses, but all of it referring back to this verse. So I'd encourage you to put your finger there or put a bookmark there or something so you can refer back to this verse because we're going to be referring back to it throughout the teaching and throughout what we're talking about. So... Uh, Hebrews 10.22, would someone like to read that for us? Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from guilty thoughts, we can have in our bodies washed with pure water. All right, thanks for that. And the idea that I, I want to talk to you about tonight is a true heart of worship, what that means. And what that means to us if we're going to have a true heart of worship and what that would look like in our lives. Uh, in Hebrews 10.22, it talks about us drawing near. Uh, and uh, the only way to draw near is what really happens in the rest of the verse uh, because it requires a certain amount of confidence on our part to draw near. Because a certain amount of understanding, a certain amount of us accepting some truths into our life for us to really draw near. It's not as easy as just the words. Uh, if you think about drawing near to uh, anyone, what does that require uh, for us to draw near to someone? And, in a, and it, it is. It's a vulnerability. It's a you're taking a chance when you draw near to someone. Uh, what, what are we taking a chance? Why are we being vulnerable if we're going to draw near to somebody? What are we afraid of? Rejection. rejection, right. And so the fear of rejection keeps us from drawing near. In fact, if you've been rejected a number of times or you have a traumatic, and I'll put that in whatever quotes or you know brackets or whatever I need to, but a traumatic rejection from somebody else, something that really affected your life, something that really hurt you, or cause you a lot of grief in your life, that may be enough pain to stop you from really drawing near anymore. And we're just talking on human levels. You know, then you start thinking about, you know, we're, we're talking about just regular people we're meeting drawing near, and that seems obvious enough. I mean, we have a biological drive to draw near to members of the opposite gender as us. And so we, I mean, that's, that's a strong biological drive. And yet that fear can stop us from even doing that. And that's with, you know, depending on what age you are, like raging hormones or whatever it is that would be telling you, you need to do this. And so you think about how strong that is, but conversely, how strong is the fear? If they can fight against that. A, a, a biological, natural drive in our lives. If you fight against that, if it's that strong, how strong is that? That's going to keep us out of friendships or 
going to keep us out of the relationships that we have, you know, co-workers or, or others. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about the biological drive necessarily right now, okay? I'm moving on from that. I'm moving on to different kinds of relationships. And then think about uh, famous people. How hard it is to, to go up to somebody that's famous. Uh, some people get really intimidated by that. You know, they'll see someone famous. You got two different kinds of people, right? Probably, and a lot of us are in between somewhere. But you've got those people, they see someone famous, they just run right up to them, right? And start talking to them. And then most of us, though, we, we don't do that. You know, we kind of stand back and just be like, oh, okay. You know, not really wanting to bother them or whatever the case may be. But there's a barrier there, too, depending on who the person is. Uh, I remember I was in Flagstaff, Arizona one time, way a lot of years ago. I was at a conference. Uh, we were doing a, a planning meeting. It was a decade of planning that we were doing at this retreat center. We were there for a week. And I was there with, I don't know how many, there were probably 40 of us there. We were all uh, campus leaders. That's when I was doing campus ministry. And so we went into town one day because we're at this retreat center. We're all cooped up with each other and hashing out things and working through things and praying and worshiping and all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was really a lot of business. It was a lot of planning. It was a lot of really some vision casting, but really a lot of nuts and bolts stuff that we were doing. So one day we took a afternoon or something off and went into Flagstaff, Arizona, which is the closest town. And we walked up onto a movie set. And it was, uh, uh, they were, the name of the movie they were filming was The Rundown, I believe. And, uh, one of the, one of the people in that, I think it was The Rundown. No. Maybe that wasn't the name of it. It was, huh? No, it was Alec Baldwin, I think, and Kim Basinger. Getaway. The getaway, the rundown, the rundown was Stifler, right? And the rock, that's not it. Forget I said that. It was the getaway, right? Okay. Anyway, I don't think I ever saw the movie, but they were filming it. And like, from me to that wall over there, Kim Basinger was standing in the middle of the road and they had like this little park cordoned off. You know, like it was just a little rope kind of hanging near the ground. So I just stepped over the rope and I walked out there to talk to her for a second. <laughs> cause I mean, you know, just cause all my friends are like, all the guys I was with like, what are you doing? I'm like, and I just, you know, walked out there like I knew what I was doing, right? <laughs> and just walked up to her, started talking to her for a little while and everything. And she, you know, she was fine. I didn't scare her or anything. It was okay. And I was able to talk to her, got a good look at her and everything. And, uh, and then I just turned around and left and went back. And, uh, and so the rest of the night, those guys were like, so what happened? You know, I'm like, why didn't you come out? I mean, <laughs> you know, that was kind of the whole discussion. And so we had a big discussion about like what holds people back from just going and talking to people or going up and, and, and interacting with people or whatever it is. So anyway, so there's barriers. And that was the only thing I was trying to say, more than just a little rope, you know, that was in front of me, there were barriers that were keeping other people away. And we all have certain barriers, and we have certain ways that we see things, certain ways that we see ourselves. And all of those things come into play when we start talking about drawing near. Now, this verse tells us, tells us, dare I say, commands us, to draw near. And yet if it's just words, we can assent to it. We can say, I'm going to draw near. But do you really? Are you held back by fear? It's kind of a truth that I, I, I really believe this. And that is if you can't practice, you can't practice life with each other. Like if we can't. There's, there's a verse in, in 1 John talks about loving your brother. And that verse says, you know, you say you love God, but then you hate your brother, you're a liar. If you can't love your brother who you see, how can you say you love God? But I take that verse, I'm like, okay, that, that handles love. That's a big one. But what else does that handle? Just about everything. 
You say you trust God, but you don't trust your brother or your sister. I don't think that that's even possible. There has to be something in us that will trust the people that are around us if we're going to say we really trust God. And you can use that argument and say, well, God's perfect. They're not. But what about love? And that's just quoting the Bible. If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. And you can use that same argument. You say, well, God's perfect. My brother's not. He's easy to love. That's not how it works. We want it to work that way because there's no tangible way it can be measured. And so we look at that and say, well, I love God. I trust God. All that? Yeah, sure. There's no tangible way to measure that. The way it's measured and the way it's manifested in our lives is through our relationship with each other. And so I I look at that trust. I look at that love. I look at that to have hope in. I look at that to have hope for. And all those kind of things that they need to manifest in our lives are going to mean anything. And I see that as the manifestation needs to be with our brothers and our sisters. And so drawing near, I mean, we, we need to answer some questions in our life. We need to deal with some barriers in our life. The rest of this verse talks about how you deal with those barriers. It talks about the, the things that have been done by Jesus to help us to deal with whatever barrier that keeps us from just really drawing near to God. And it talks about, at least some of, for some of us, some of the reasons we don't draw near to God. Namely, if you read through that verse, it talks about the guilty conscience, doesn't it? And people feel guilty. They feel like they're whatever they feel like they are. Well, how can I draw near to God? Well, the Bible commands you to. God is commanding you to. Because He's taking care of the guilty conscience. He's taking care of the, the cleansing that needed to be taken care of. You have been sprinkled. You have been cleansed. That blood has already been spilled. All has been taken care of for that to happen. And so it's not really a question of logistics. It's not the question of how has already been answered. God made the way. God prepared the way. God has provided the way. Everything that needed to be done has been done so that he can just he can command us to draw near to him because he's taking care of everything that could possibly be a barrier. So where's the only barrier? It's in us. That's where it is. The logistics of it are taken care of. The spiritual side of it is taken care of. The physical side of it is taken care of. Draw near to God. What holds us back? Something in here. Likely the same thing that holds us back from drawing near to people. Whatever that is. And so that's what needs to be taken care of in us. The first word I heard when I asked the question was vulnerability. And that's a tough one. I want you to think about a story. And again, keep your finger in Hebrews 10, but I want you to think, think of a story in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is in Tyre. Tyre and Sidon. He's doing a little tour of the cities. And as he's walking around the city, there was a woman, a Greek woman, in other words, a non-Jewish woman, who approached Jesus as he entered the city, and she began to follow him around, begging him to heal her daughter. You know this story? And her daughter had an unclean spirit. So you've got Jesus his disciples, he's in the the city of Tyre, Sidon, he's there in those cities, and he's got this woman following him around, begging him, begging him, begging him to heal her daughter because her daughter had an unclean spirit. And so she approached him. And I want you to hear some of the words she used. If you want to turn to this, Matthew 15, 21 through 23, somewhere in there. But listen to the words she used. She used words like, quote-unquote, O Lord. 
O Lord, or quote-unquote, Thou Son of David. My daughter is quote-unquote demon-possessed. I want you to see what she's saying here because she's trying to use a certain language. This wasn't common language for Greeks to use. But who's she trying to make Jesus think she is? You guess? A Jewish woman. Right. Now why would she want Jesus to believe that she was a Jewish woman? Why? She realized... Now she'd probably heard stories about Jesus. Right? Uh, one that comes to mind would be blind Bartimaeus that was healed. So she'd probably heard stories about Jesus, that one in particular, about this man being, his sight being restored. And so she knew that he had the power to heal her daughter. And so she also knew that she didn't have any claim on that. In other words, she's a Gentile, he's a Jew. And as being such, they were not of the same persuasion. And in that day, that was a big deal. There was a great divide between the Gentiles and the Jewish people. And so she was approaching Jesus in a way that she hoped would open the door so that her daughter could receive healing. But in doing so, she misrepresented herself. That wasn't who she really was. She was a Greek woman. She didn't use language like, O Lord, thou son of David. That, that, that's not how Greek people talked. You know, using a technical term, my daughter is demon possessed. These are, these are terms that would have been used in a religious circumstance. The these and the thous and the sons of David and the lords and all of that. Those are all religious words used in a religious circumstance that she actually had no part of. Yet there she was. So she gave it a shot. She gave it a shot. Now I want you to see something about her. She wasn't afraid. Alright? And I'm not saying what she did was right because Jesus dealt with her. But she wasn't afraid. She went up to him. Why? She had a need. It wasn't even her need. It was her daughter's need. Which could have been even a a stronger driving force in her life. Because you never mess with a mom whose kid is sick. And that could have been a stronger driving force in her life than even if she was sick. So for whatever the reason, she was not afraid to approach Jesus. And she knew that he could heal her daughter. So keep that in mind. She's got a few things going for her. Now, going up to Jesus and pretending that she was somebody she wasn't, that wasn't going for her. And Jesus, in his response, he made that clear. In fact, he didn't answer her. He didn't answer her at first. And the disciples were urging him to send her away. So two things are going on. One, he's not answering. Two, the disciples are like, could you just tell her to go away? We need to send her away. And so he finally responds. He finally responds. He says, I was only sent to the lost house of Israel. That was his response. In other words, your ruse, your clever attempt to deceive me has failed. I know that you are a Greek woman and I have been sent only to the lost house of Israel. So, no. To which she responded by falling at his feet and worshiping him. And the word for worship there, the Greek word used for worship there, is to kiss or lick him like a dog. That's the word. So she fell at his feet. Her response to him saying no, calling her out on her ruse, she fell at his feet and began to worship by kissing or licking his feet like a dog. 
To which he responded, It's not good to throw the children's bread to the dogs. Are you following what's going on so far? Alright. And at this, finally, finally, she tells the truth. And she says what she really wants. At that point, she comes back and she says, but don't even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table onto the floor. There you go. Can you throw me a crumb? That's all I need. I'm not going to pretend to be Jewish. I'm not going to pretend to grovel at your feet. I just need you to throw me a crumb. And the Bible says that Jesus healed her daughter that very hour. Now I want you to see what he responded to. I want you to see that he responded to the truth. He responded to the honesty. He responded to seeing her real and true heart on the matter. Not something that was made up. Not something that she thought he wanted to see. Not something that she thought she was supposed to do. Not something that, that, that she thought was expected of her. But this was her true heart on the matter. She finally shared it with him and he responded by healing her daughter. The fact of the matter was, she was still a Gentile, wasn't she? She was still a Greek woman. She was still a Gentile. She'd been a Gentile. She'd been a Greek woman from the very beginning. The difference that you see here, the change that occurred here, is that she came to him honestly with a true heart, and then he responded to that. But the fact is nothing physically changed about her. From the beginning to the end, she was still the same person. That was the same woman that followed him around. That was the same woman that fell at his feet. It's the same woman that just finally said what she meant and he responded by answering her and by healing her daughter. And that tells us something. It tells us something about being true. It tells us that it's not the method. It tells us it's not what other people do. It tells us it's not even about what's expected. It tells us that truth and honesty, and by that I just mean being who we are in front of God and really talking to Him and telling Him what's going on, just being truthful about it, being honest about it, goes a lot further with Him than following a form. Or somehow trying to meet some expectation that we're just making up as it is. Because bottom line is, we, we really don't know what he wants. Except for, we know he wants us to be true and sincere. That's why we know. We know he wants our honesty. You know, we know he wants us to be ourselves. Other than that, I couldn't tell you. And people try to tell you, well, God wants you to come before him this way or that way or this is how you get into his presence or this is the method we use over here. These are 12 steps, 10 steps, 5 steps to getting into the Lord's presence, whatever it is, all right? And they'll tell you how to do it and they'll give you a methodology. Wrong. Because that is not what God is looking for. It's never been what he's looked for. And this woman is a great example of that. If it's just the words you used, she used the right words. Didn't get anywhere with that. If it's to beg it up, well, begging it up's important, but if that's all you need, well, she did beg it up. She didn't get anywhere with that. Groveling at his feet, kissing and licking his dirty, dirty, dirty feet that have been outside walking in the dirt all day, if that's what it takes, no, that didn't work either. It took her just actually being who she is and just being honest. 
being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. Because she got rejected and then rejected and then rejected and then accepted. She wasn't afraid, but she needed to learn what's God looking for. That's what he's looking for. Period. So how does that translate to us? Go back to that verse in Hebrews 10.22. tells us to draw near. And like I said, if we're going to draw near, we've got to deal with some things and accept some things. The biggest thing you need to deal with, the biggest thing you need to accept is God wants you to be you. And He wants you to be honest with Him and to be vulnerable before Him. And as you get a real view of yourself sometimes, it's not pretty. It's just not. But that's who God wants to see. Because He sees it anyway. That's who He sees. He knows. And so... We have to come to a place in our life where we recognize that He already knows who we are. He just wants us to be willing to express that to Him. Well, what if it's not so pretty? Well, it's not. We already know that. We already get that. We've already got the, 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 the scoop on that. It's not pretty. And that's just honestly, it's not going to be. And so, if it's not going to be pretty, let's get that out of our heads. There's no form he's looking for. There's no, no, uh, method that he's looking for. There's no, you know, three steps that he's looking for. He's not looking for a facade. He's not looking for somebody else. He's not looking for something that somebody else did or something somebody else said. He's not looking for the magic words. He's looking for you. Whether you like that or not, that's who he's looking for. And then it's up to you if that's what you're going to present to him. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And so when it talks about a sincere heart, that, that word sincere, uh, just the easiest way to understand it is just the real McCoy. That's what it means. That's what it really is. And it, to be what you really are, you're the genuine you. The genuine heart. Well, if you don't like that, that still doesn't make it not genuine. Because there's some genuinely bad tasting food. I mean, if you think about it, do you like every bit of food out there in the world? I don't necessarily. Uh, it could be the genuine article and it could still taste bad, but it's real. I've had some pretty poor tasting food. I remember one time, man, I had a hot pepper. It was a Chinese hot pepper that they throw onto the dish. And I didn't know it at the time, but they only put it on for decoration. It was a special hot dish that I had. and But I eat any peppers I see, so I ate them. And, uh, and the guy came back, and he, he was, like, motioning, like, where are the peppers? And I was like, he's like... <laughs> He's like, very dangerous. I didn't think they were that hot or anything. But sure enough, man, they exploded in my stomach. I mean, exploded in my stomach. That's why they don't eat them. It's not the fact they're hot. It was that they do really, really bad things to the inside of you that I didn't know about. And so I learned a lesson. Those peppers are the real deal. But you shouldn't eat them. But they are genuine. That's what they are. And so we've all got stuff in our life that, man, it's just not pretty, it's not good, it's not right, it's not where we want to be, it's not how we want to be, it's not any of those things, and yet it's who we are. And that's just the bottom line to it. And that's what God is calling us to draw near with a sincere heart, with a true heart. 
Not meaning perfect. Not meaning it's all right. Not meaning it's right where we want to be. Not meaning it's where God wants us to be. Not meaning it lines completely up with Scripture or anything like that. It's just what it is. And it actually is that. And that's what he's looking for. The real McCoy. The real us. That that sincere, that actual heart that is in us. And the Bible, the, the other words that are associated with that the word sincere are full of faith, hope, and assurance. They're all associated with that word. And, and I guess that depends on how you approach it. If you can get over yourself that you're not going to come before God perfectly, if you can get over yourself that there are things that you're messed up about in your life, if you can get over yourself that that there are things that you know are in disobedience and rebellion against God, if you can get over yourself with the fact that not everything in you is clean and pure and upright, but that God wants you drawing near just like you are, who you are, the truth of the matter, the sincerity of the matter, that's what he's looking for, then that begins to fill us with hope and assurance and faith. It begins to fill us with a confidence. Because it's not about us. And that's the fatal flaw of religion. Is that somehow religion takes a beautiful story about God's love, God's acceptance, and what God is doing to redeem us and turns it into an ugly story about us. That's what religion does. And when you begin to believe the ugly story about you, you're not going to draw near. And if you try to draw near, you're going to draw near in some dishonest manner that God doesn't accept anyway. And you see the reaction to that woman. He ignored her. He's got people telling her to get away. He tells her that she's not part of what he's doing. I mean, think about the reactions that he gave her all the way up until the point that she said, okay, this is what's really going on. And then he healed her daughter. But think about all the reactions prior to that. That's why religion is self-perpetuating. You make it about yourself and you try to draw near in some dishonest fashion and then you hear one of these responses back and you're like, I knew it. I knew it. I wasn't good enough. I'm going to go get better. You see how that perpetuates the lie? And it perpetuates itself. It's an ugly story. And it will always be an ugly story. Always. Because it's the wrong story. That is not the gospel message. That is not the gospel story that God's called us into. We're in a, a beautiful story of redemption. We're in a beautiful story of God providing and cleansing. We're in a beautiful story of God loving us. Every part of us loving us as who we are right here, right now. That's a great story. It's so good people make up something else because it's almost too good. And so they make something else up, create religion, and it just gets ugly from there. That's just too good to be true. Maybe it's just true. And it's really good. <laughs> That's the, yeah, you think about it, it is really good. And it's true. But it's not too good to be true. What kind of statement is that anyway? You know, you think about it, think about that statement. It's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, it's a protection. It's like I was talking to somebody the other day. They're telling me that uh, a lot of times they won't 
They expect anything good so they're not disappointed. Wow. Wow. That's a hard life, man. I'm going to expect the worst so I don't get disappointed when something bad happens? That's an ugly story. That's a really ugly story. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got all kinds of sayings for it, too. I mean, because it's a human condition. It is a human condition. It's also a religious condition. And it is an ugly story. God has a beautiful story. But we have to take our part in it. We have to take our place in it. So God sets us free from defilement. Does that mean we're perfect? No, but it means we're free. Free from what? Free from the shame? Free from the guilt? Free from carrying it around like a burden? He gives us a new life. That means everything we do is exactly awesome because we have a new life. No, but we have a hope. And we have a future. And we have a purpose. And God gives us a plan. All right, let's look up some more verses. 1 Peter 3.21 1 Peter 3.21. Okay, so you have a you have a description of water baptism here. This is a great description of water baptism. And what does he clearly say about water baptism? What does it not do? The the removal of dirt. Alright? And you can put whatever you want on that. Uh, And I want you to see that as symbolic. Because if you're dunked underwater, what gets removed? At least somewhat. Dirt. (laughs) All right. And so what he's saying through this is that the purpose of baptism isn't the removal of dirt. In other words, we want it to be that so that we can be squeaky clean and then we can feel good about ourselves. But that's not what he says. He says what it does and what it's supposed to do is relieve the burden that we so desperately carry around in ourselves. The burden of our shortcomings, the burden of, of our failures, the burden of us not measuring up to some standard that we're never going to measure up to. The burden that all of that represents in us. And what he says that baptism will wash that away while not really washing away, not actually washing away the dirt. So what does that suggest? It suggests to me a change of the way we see God and the way we see ourselves. That's what it suggests to me. Uh, we view baptism as one of our ordinances as a church, and we view it as, as symbolic of being buried with Jesus and being raised to walk in newness of life. Those aren't literal things. Those are symbolic things. And they symbolize a new chance, a new moment in our life, a a fresh beginning and a fresh start. Now, does that mean that we get baptized and magically we don't have any bills? No, no. We got bills, all right? Does it mean we never sin again? No, we do. And there's lots of things that, that change and things that don't change. And we, anytime we baptize somebody, we have an expectation for there to be some kind of revelation and some kind of change in their life. But the real revelation that needs to come is the way that a person sees himself or the way a person will see god that's what needs to change their view of their relationship between them and god needs to somehow change and that's one of the main purposes of baptism is to bring about that kind of change in our mentality outlook and the way we're going to see things around us the way we see ourselves okay ephesians 5 and verse 26 
her clothes, cleansing her by the washing of the water before you. All right, who is her in that? Church. Church. So if Jesus is going to make her holy, so she's going to be perfect, right? Because you have in your mind the idea of holiness as being perfection. So she will never sin again. That's what that's saying, right? Jesus is going to make her holy and she's never going to sin again. So as the church sinned since the book of Ephesians was written, can we say crusades? <laughs> All right, maybe. Can we say inquisition? Can we say any number of things? And I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about the church and as a whole. So, yeah, there's been sin. So what does that verse mean? Church has been washed been washed with pure water of the word. What is that? Didn't mean perfection, what does it mean? It can be, but who's renewing? Who needs to see the renewal? Who needs to live in the renewal? This is my point. Whether we're talking about the church or us as individuals, who has to live in the renewal? We do. We do. Understand that all of these things that God is doing and saying and bringing about, that's for our benefit. That's for us. He knows what's going on. He's not confused. We're confused. He's not dishonest. We're dishonest. He's not hiding anything. We're hiding stuff. He's not far away. We're the ones that put ourselves far away. We're the ones not drawing near. He's drawing near. All of these things are being written, not for his sake, not for to somehow explain something to us about it. It's for our benefit so that we can understand what actually is. The opportunity we have, the moment that's before us, the, the opportunity that we have to draw near to Him and to be, and to understand ourselves in, in honestly coming before Him and just being who we are. That's what He's looking for. And so I'm worried about not being holy. Well, okay, so He's washed us and we're holy. Good. Well, I'm worried about not, uh, whatever it is. Well, He's cleansed you from your sin. Okay, well, I'm worried about that maybe, whatever it is, he's already taking care of it. And he goes to great lengths through the scriptures to explain to us that he's taking care of it. For whose sake? Our sake. Our hesitations. Our barriers. Our walls that we've built. Our fears that we have. The stuff that stands in our way from drawing near. That's why he says all of these things has to do with us. Our needs has to do with our insecurities, our fears. That's what it has to do with. Another verse, uh, Titus 3 5. All right, just to hammer this home one more time. He saved us not because of anything we've done. That is the bad story of religion. That's the ugly story. We somehow did something, and he liked that, and so he saved us. 
That's the ugly story of religion. It's false. It's a false narrative. He didn't do it because of anything we did. He took care of everything. And the beautiful story of redemption is that he shed his blood in order to bring cleansing over our lives and to give us a new start. A new start for who? For us. The way we see things, the way we're going to see things going forward, the way we're going to see things moving ahead in our lives. He did what was necessary so that we could move forward and not live in the past and not live in fear and not live with the hesitations that keep us from drawing near to God. And so here we are. True worship. True worship comes from a true relationship. But how do you ever have a true relationship with somebody? Unless you can know each other's hearts, right? You got to be you. He's going to be him. You got to be you. Right? And that's how it works. Those of you that have done the internship here, you know things about me that are not attractive or even acceptable by any measure. Alright? Why? Why would anybody know that? I drew near to them. And that's what has to happen if somebody's going to draw near to you. Okay? We draw near to them first. Okay? So, God commands us to draw near to Him. And we're going to practice that. That's practically going to happen with each other or it's not going to happen with him, I, I don't see any way that's going to happen. And so that requires, again, back to the first word, vulnerability, that requires us to somehow be willing to face whatever happens with that. And usually it's worse in our brain than it is in reality, but that's how fear works. It lies to us. It keeps us back. It holds us back from really becoming or being who God's called us to be. That's what fear does. And so I just want you to think about the woman. They're entire. T-Y-R-E. You know that's how English people spell tire? Yeah. Like on your car? T-Y-R-E. Yeah. That's... Yeah, I did too. That's why I said it. <laughs> but I want you to think about the woman that was in the city, Tyre, and was following Jesus around. I want you to think about the gymnastics she went through to get nowhere. And the simplicity of just being herself to get everything. And maybe we can save ourselves some gymnastics. Maybe. Maybe we can save ourselves a lot of effort for nothing. We serve a God that knows you already and wants you to recognize that and come before Him just like you are. And how's that expressed? I don't know. I don't know. That's as individual as you are. You worshiping God may look differently than the way I worship God. It may look a lot different. And it may look different 
than the person leading worship up front. Or it may look much different than your kinship leader. It may look different than uh, whoever. But you got to be you. And you need to express yourself. And see what will happen. I'm pretty excited about seeing what will happen if people will really draw near to God. I'm pretty excited to see God manifest his, himself through people that are drawing near to him. Because there's something powerful about it. There's something really supernatural and natural all at the same time about how God will manifest himself through people that will draw near to him. In honesty. In honesty. So I just want to encourage us to that. Anybody have any questions or comments? Anything? I think it's significant what you said about like you had to be vulnerable to draw near to someone. Yeah. Before they were able to draw near to you. Right. And that you made the choice. And that I think we were like when we're unwilling to do that, we always put it on the other person. Well, they're not letting me draw near to them, or they're not in a position where I can get to know them, or they're not. Right. And I think socially that's been accepted. Right. Like we learn that in school that it's other people, or we learn it in social situations that it's other people. So I think the onus, accepting the onus, is a good thing. But and that's why we create safe places where you can do that. Right. Specifically to facilitate that. Right. This isn't just. This is not just out in the world or where you came from or work or school. This is a specific place where that's being fostered. Right. Well, no, but that's where it starts and that's where it needs to start. And then see what happens. If you can get over the fear enough within, say, the controlled circumstances around us, kinships or whatever it is that is around us right now that are designed to foster that and they are designed to foster these kind of relationships if you can get over your fear there and over your fear a couple times with some people you're going to see that kind of behavior being easier as you move out from here and the world is so shocked by it and I mean shocked that, you know, I've seen some really good responses from people I would never, ever think would respond positively to that. And they do. Because there's a lot of hunger out there for relationships, for meaning, for, for being close to people. And it, it's something that I mean, I think people are crying out for. They don't know how to do it. And maybe they're unwilling to take the chance to do it, even if they knew how, but they're really crying out for it. So. And it's, uh, yeah. And I know there's all kinds of lies, all kinds of ways of thinking that are completely accepted, but if you really look at the fruit of it, it's not drawing people closer together, but isolating people more and more. We're going to overcome that with social media? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to overcome that with social media. I just don't. I, I struggle with 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's communicating, but it's a different kind of communication. And it's hard to, uh, you know, let me let me put it to you this way. Fifteen years ago, or more than that, twenty years ago, I can remember uh, Lou had an online friend that he had met in a chat room, uh, IRC chat room, or sometime I can't remember what they were using at the time. It was a Linux chat room. You did it on a computer at the time that he had met, and uh, I remember talking to him about this person and how. They're really, really good friends and all this other stuff. And it blew my mind. Now, this was 20 years ago. Before all this was in our consciousness and and all this was like right in front of us. But 20 years ago, he's telling me he's great friends with this person he'd never met face to face. Never even talked to on the telephone. And it just blew my mind that, that he could think that. And And so... I can remember uh, he was going down to New York to meet the person and you know hang out with him face to face, and I'm like I cannot wait to talk to him after he gets back to see what happened. <laughs> and it was interesting, you know, it was interesting to talk to him and kind of debrief that a little bit to see, because because there's definitely there's definitely limitations. There's definitely you know it's not the same. It is not the same. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and, and you know, and now, I mean, now we talk about we got our you know Facebook friends, we got friends here, friends there, all this other stuff, and it's and it's just so much a part of our world that no one even questions it anymore. And I and so I you know not to sound like a dinosaur or anything, but uh, seriously, twenty years ago, man, I just could not get it. I just couldn't get it. I was just completely confused about it. Like, you can really think that? I'm with you. And there's a lot of stuff like that too. But I, I mean, and but now it's like, all right, you know, there's there's people that I've spoken with over, uh, you know, different media or whatever that I've never met face to face. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> whatever that means. Well, like a Facebook friend or something. You know, I mean, I don't know. So anyway. Right, so let's take a few minutes and uh, just pray. And uh, what I just want to encourage you to is, again, what are we talking about? Draw near to God. Right? You're going to draw near to God. How are we going to draw near to God? You're going to be you. And so I just want to encourage you to take a moment and do that. Just right where you are. Just take a moment and do that. And then I'm going to pray for us that that will be manifest in our lives in other ways too. Uh, with people and people around us or whatever is going to happen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. It says to draw near to you. Uh, you tell us to. And so I pray that you'll help us to draw near to you really just who we are. And not try to come with a form or try to come for you as some kind of a method or anything like that or with words or whatever it is we try to come before you with. And I, I just ask you that as we as individuals are before you right now, that we would come into your presence just honestly. Honestly, with all our flaws and our shortcomings and our failures. That we just come before you. And if we love you, I pray we can tell you we love you. If we're scared of you, I pray we can tell you we're scared of you. If we're disappointed, if we're hurt, if we're thankful, if we're happy, if we're sad. Thank you, God. 
And Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as we draw near to you, that that will manifest in our relationships one with another. That we will practice what it is to draw near with each other. And I pray, God, that you'll teach us how to be courageous, how to be vulnerable, how to be loving, how to be full of grace and forgiveness and understanding and empathy and sympathy toward one another, patience, long-suffering, Pray, God, you teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming tonight. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you again soon.